This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, my name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pass as well as Triangle Lawn, as well as CEO of Coolmarch, a digital marketing company for the home services industry with a highly specialized focus, should I say that, Dan, on pest and lawn. And with me is the highly esteemed, can I, can I come up with something better than highly esteemed? Highly specialized. Uh, highly specialized, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello? introduce our topic and our guest. Yeah, sure. So uh, great to be here as always. And uh, we're going to talk about building a company through acquisition. And uh, we've got a terrific guest. He's got a very unique company and a uh, very unique approach to uh, pest control, but it's very successful. Um, you know, uh, today's guest is Mike Givlin, uh, CEO and co-founder of Certus, which was recently named uh, number 18 on PCT 100. Um, in 1996, Mike founded Bird Control International, which was acquired by Stereotech in 2007. And then Mike stayed on with Stereotech uh, for over nine years before joining Antisemex from uh, 2006 to 2018. And he kind of spearheaded their their uh, rollout or their, their entry into North America. Uh, in 2019, Mike uh, partnered with Imperial Capital a mid-market private equity firm from Toronto. Together, they formed Certus, envisioning a new platform to partner with leading pest control companies across the U.S. and Canada. So certainly, most of our listeners are not running that $100 million company, but there's a ton of lessons learned from your experience, no matter what the size of the company. So, hey, Mike, welcome. Um, it's uh, good to have you. Hey, Dan, Donnie, great to be here. I'm, I'm glad we could finally connect. Well, I can tell you, I'm very excited about this this episode because it, I know you guys are doing quite a few acquisitions, and so I'm just I'm excited about the war stories. I'm, I'm I've got to believe that pulling multiple multiple cultures, multiple businesses together, I'm sure it's just been a real. I'm sure it's just super smooth, and everyone just rolls right in. <laughs> it's a well-oiled machine. We we never falter or have a misstep. That's, right. that's true. One more thing I want to say before we get into it is that, you know, we had Amy on before and she was fantastic. So congratulations on your hire there. She was, she was fantastic to have on the podcast. It was a lot of fun doing that with her. So, all right, Dan, you want to lead us away and get us into this? Sure. So uh, let's talk about like, how is running a large pest control company like Certus, uh, like running a small business and, and how is it different? How uh, your, your approach to um, obviously, you know, you're, you're looking to do all these acquisitions and you've done several of them and, um, but, but what's the difference in, in running this company that, you know, three or four years ago was zero and now you're at, you know, what, what what's the number? That, We're seeing about 80 million today, Dan. 80 million. Yep. So, so what's the difference? How, how, how and, and what are the similar similarities? I think the similarities are the easy ones to start with, right? At the end of the day, we're a, we're a pest control company and we have to do all those same things that a pest control company does, right? We got to focus on retaining our staff, servicing our customers, completing our routes, getting sales done, having great marketing machines, all those really things that make our industry function. 
are, are key and we have to do them well. Um, so that doesn't change rather I'm a, you know, $1 million business or a billion dollar business. Those basics are the, the, the foundation of our industry and we have to do them well. Um, where we get different is as you bring all these companies together, right? You have to really focus on culture, um, HR becomes more complex, your systems and processes, your back ends become more complex to try and bring all that together and, and make sense of it. You know, if you think of it this way, we've done, as I sit here today, 57 acquisitions in three years. And that means, you know, 57 companies with 57 different cultures, but it also means 57 pay plans, 57 payroll systems, 57 accounting systems, probably 60 or 80 websites, um, 57, you know, WorkWave, PestPack, ServeSuite, whatever system they're using that all need to come together and start functioning. So there's a lot of back-end noise when you're doing a lot of M&A that you don't have in a, a traditional pest control company. So I have a question about that. Um, you know, going back to the, some of the similarities, you know, if, if a company is at say one or 2 million, you know, it, it sounds like what you're saying, it, it really the difference is, is how do you scale to say 80 million? Um, can you just walk us through like, okay, how do you, how do you unify, you know, I think you said 57, how do you unify 57 different cultures? And I realize this, we could talk about this forever, but just the basics, right? This is how we get folks on the same page. This is how we scale. This is how we, you know, take all these different people, all these different cultures, all these different guest geographies, and we and somehow, some way, we make all the chaos come into you know, obviously to a single business. Does that does that question make sense? Hopefully, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, and and it's a a lot of moving pieces to do that, right? Every company we acquire has things they do really well and things they need to to improve on to be able to continue to grow. So it's looking at each company and and being humble as a service team and going, what what do you do well? And what can we take and and use across our our, our business? Because people want to feel like they're contributing, right? And and part of a, a larger team. And part of that is having a, an honest look at what they do well and, and where they can can extend beyond what they're doing today. And the other part of that equation is, is having a, a, an honest conversation about either where they need to improve or what they're doing well but doesn't scale, right? There's some some things that are that smaller companies do exceptionally well that we just can't do as a larger company and, and, and having that dialogue with them. At the end of the day, it's, it's really about communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, you can just never communicate too much and change management, right? There's a lot of change as you, as you grow out a company like this and, and getting comfortable um, or getting people comfortable with change. Um, one of the things my team hears me say a lot is everyone loves the concept of change until they're the ones that have to change. And then it becomes a bit more of a, a sticking point, right? So it's it's um, communicating them with them, not only you know how we're changing, but why we're changing and, and why we're going down the route, route we are is a, a key part of that, that change management. Um, you know, we have upped our communication over the last three years. I still don't think we're communicating enough with our frontline workers, but again, it's that keep communicating, keep communicating, and, and and making sure they understand where we're going and why we're going there. Um, other bits are getting people working together, um, you know, as we bring in new ERP systems or that, bring, bringing folks from the different companies required to, to work on those projects 
So they're part of the bigger picture. And, and the other thing we're doing, um, it was driven mainly by our employees, but also for our customers is we're, we're rebranding the bulk of our acquired companies to a, a brand called PureCore. Um, so everyone's operating under that that same brand and and that same team to build a, a sense of team. Um, but again, it's just trying to bring people together and just communicate, communicate, communicate. So one thing, and I know Dan's, Dan's chomping at the bit here. So just one last thing, and then I'll let Dan ask a few questions. Number one is I want to address this issue of change, and this is mainly for our listeners, I guess for you too, Mike. But let me just tell you, Dan is a huge fan of change. I always get tickled when I ask Dan an accounting question. I hear click, 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 click. And do you know what that noise is, Mike? It's one of these big ass calculators that has the big buttons. It's on his desk. And I laugh every single time. He's not like, Dan, are you kidding me? He's like, what? It works. <laughs> so, that's so, great. That's, that's a skill set there. that a lot of young people don't have is that 10 key, you know, finger. Uh, you know, that, that's, so, uh, so that's point number one is Dan is all about change. But I, I got one last, this just is more of just a clarification of what you said. And then I'm going to turn it over to Dan. But you're talking about communicating. Do you guys, I mean, like, do you do newsletters? Do you do like all hands meetings? Like, how do you communicate? And, and you, I think you said earlier, this is something that we're working on. Like, I'm just curious, like, how do you, I mean, that's a lot of people. How do you, how do you pull that off? And, and, you know, what are you guys using to do that? So it's it's a, it's a bunch of, of different things. Some is just being present in our markets, making sure we're going out and visiting and, and having face-to-face -face communications with our folks. Um, we do a quarterly town hall with the leadership team where you know we advertise it for about a month in advance, making sure everyone's aware um, of what we're doing. Um, and through that town hall, we we look at or communicate what what the future looks like, what the, the past quarter looks like. We highlight some of our leaders, some of our folks in the field that are are doing well. And I think the most important part of the town hall is our, our back half of it, where we have an anonymous text line and we allow people to, to text in and ask us questions on any topic they want. And we answer every question that they, they text in. And if we hit a, our one hour window for the town hall, when we post that to our internal communication site, we answer all outstanding questions as part of that, that posting. Um, so again, it's it's and, and then little things like I send out a thought for the day every day to our team, to just a, a quote or something for them to think about for the day. So it, it doesn't need to be big formal communication like a town hall. It can be you know showing up and listening. It can be just little little short quotes. Um, again, making sure everyone feels that um, they're part of a bigger team, and that when they do communicate back to us, like if I get emails from service specialists or CCRs or anyone else that we, we communicate directly with them and we address their issues in a, in a, in a timely way or their questions or whatever it is. Um, so it's not just one thing, it's just that overall strategy of making sure we're, we're constantly talking with our, our frontline folks. So a couple of questions um, to unpack from some of the things that you just uh, mentioned. But the first one is, uh, you know, you, uh, we're working with Steritech and I guess once they were taken over by Renekill a little bit there and um, what are now you're buying up a whole bunch of small companies what are some of those things that small companies that, that you've said geez this is great why doesn't why didn't why don't the big companies do this or why didn't we think of this what, what can can you name a few of those yeah I, their first advantage is they're really nimble and adaptable right so they're able to um, 
get out to a customer very quick or drive sales much more efficiently than than some of the big big companies are. Um, you know, their relationship with their frontline folks is is much better than what we would have at like a Steritech or a Rent-A-Kill or an Anti-Cynics. That intimacy that they they have with their staff, um, it, that's really hard to duplicate in a in a in a big business. Um, and their willingness to kind of boldly experiment, right? To, to boldly experiment as a big company involves a lot of risk, a lot of folks talking about different things. And, you know, we have subject matter experts where, you know, they'll just go out and try something. If it works, then they figure out how to make it work more. That's that's one of the things I love about small businesses is just that, that entrepreneurial, you know, customers at the center of what we do. And, and being able to live that in a very direct way versus as we get bigger, it, be, it becomes more difficult to, to do that. And how do we, you know, keep that relationship going? It, it becomes a bit more challenging. And the second one is the rebranding. So you came out as Certus, not sure where that name came from or how you got it, but it's a cool name, right? And And there's a lot of branding all around it. You know, you've really gotten the word out, you know, at MPMA and everything else. Um, that that you guys are Certus and you're here and you're ready to talk. Why change the brand and and, and what happens to Certus? So Certus stays. Um, so when you think of Certus and PureCore, think of like uh, the best analogy I can give for our industry is Rollins and um, Orkin, right? Certus is our industry-facing brand. Um, it, it, it's um, our our accounting, our our um, investor-facing brand. All that that fun stuff um, uh, is what falls under Certus, where PureCore is our, our consumer-facing brand, so that's what the, our customer has a relationship with. Um, and we do that for, again, this is where M&A and all that gets kind of muddly in, in terms of a traditional business versus what we do. Um, that also gives us a lot of flexibility as we continue to grow out. If we buy a you know, a nice platform company in, a, in an area where we don't want to rebrand, for example, we buy a, something with a really strong local brand. It allows us to continue operating that brand without creating a, a mess in our business. Um, so there's a lot of kind of strategic reasons why we operate two brands. And as the future rolls on, probably multiple brands, which is what you'll see with, you know, Rollins, Terminex, Rent-A-Kill, they all have kind of a, a, that main brand that they run and then kind of sub-brands after that. So um, I guess here, here, here's one that, uh, you know, a few months ago, you would have never had this question. In fact, if you were in December, uh, valuations were at an all-time high. The deals we were doing just were insane and whatnot, but what a different six months take. So during Q4 of 2021, we saw some of the highest valuations paid, but now with inflation and pending recession, downturn in the stock market, what are you seeing? situations, um, you know, in terms of what you guys are looking at? So what we're seeing right now is a lot of folks um, just sitting on the sidelines trying to figure out what the future holds for them, right? There's a, there's a lot of things that are impact valuations that you mentioned and then, and then some that you haven't, like, you know, inflation and, and interest rates raising is going to impact everyone's ability on my side of the table to, to pay, right? So what does that do to that 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 multiplier, right, of, of EBITDA. But on the other side of the table, you've got things like gas prices and labor that are impacting gross margin. And you look at, you know, some of the, the stuff that's been released around Rollins from the uh, Tim Mulrooney's work where they're looking at, you know, 
kind of 75 to 200 basis points of erosion and gross margin based on fuel. And then you'll see a similar erosion of gross margin based on, on labor. Um, even if multiples remain the same on our side, what we're multiplying against is potentially shrinking on the other side as well as, as the profitability of businesses shrink if you're unable to offset that, that erosion in, in gross margin. So there's, there's kind of two sets of negative pressure right now on, on valuations. Um, and I think that's causing a lot of people just to, to pause and, and, you know, look at what's going on and, and how they want to proceed. So I have to play devil's advocate here. I have a question. Dan's smiling because he knows I'm going to start asking hard questions now. So my question is, is, does that create opportunities in the market? I mean, I get gross margin erosion and, and I'm sure our listeners like, well, I'm just doing it as me. Is that a function of, of, of operators not adapting to inflation fast enough? I mean, couldn't those margins be put back? And I mean, can't they be brought back in line if the if you listen to our top? podcast, if you listen to our podcast, you would have raised your prices just enough so that those margins are right there. Right, Donnie? Yeah. 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 And I'll talk about that. But I, it's, it's really more for Mike. I mean, does that create an opportunity for you? Like, hey, we let's just say there's a because I agree. I mean, I think, you know, like most things, when 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 interest rates go up, that means your buying power goes down. Theoretically speaking, obviously, I don't know you guys specifically. I'm just talking general market stuff here. But, you know, OK, so now you're buying or your buying power goes down because you can't, you know, you're paying higher interest. And, but, you know, a function of, of keeping that margin there is that I mean, do you see that as something that I mean, an operator absolutely could fix that technically, right? Yeah, there's a lot of levers operators can pull to fix that, right? It's your, to your point. Um, one is price increases, but are they being aggressive enough on price increases, right? In this kind of inflationary environment, you know, you're, you're talking double-digit price increases, not you know, two or three percent. That's not gonna, that's not, not gonna, gonna cut, cut it, it right? Yep. Um, are they looking at the drivers of, of uh, the other drivers of gross margin, right? There's not much you can do about the gallon of gasoline, but are you taking a hard look at your roots and, and condensing those and really hyper focusing on density and how? how much can you push your guys, right? If they're at, you know, just ballpark, you know, let's say 160, 170, 180 a year in terms of route density, can you push that to 230, 240, 250 to get more dense routes, have your guys servicing more? I mean, ultimately it's a win-win for your technicians, right? They're driving less, they're servicing more, which means they, they, they're gonna earn more um, if they're on a production basis. But are, are you willing to take those kind of steps to really start focusing on, on density in your business? But to your point, there's definitely levers um, you can pull to help fix gross margin. Um, the, the question is, are, are you willing as a business owner to, to, to pull those levers and, yeah. you know, risk losing customers on a double digit fallout and, you know, risk upsetting your guys because of the changes in routing and that sort of thing. Right. They they do carry inherent risk as a, as a business uh, owner. I think the answer to your question is absolutely not. <laughs> well, also, you didn't answer my question. Are, are the valuations, uh, you know, what are you seeing? Are they going up or going down? We, we're getting people who are now coming out of the woodwork and saying, okay, Dan, it's finally time to sell. And I'm like, mm, six months ago was time to, not that you can't sell and you can't get a good price, but six months ago was a really good time to sell. 
Um, but uh, again, I think we're seeing a lot of people just waiting it out, but ultimately, and and you've been saying this for years as, as, uh, I, and I think anyone on, on, on the M and A side of the business, interest rates are going to rise. And when interest rates rates rise, it will compress values. Um, to the extent that is right now, I, I haven't a clue, right? I think it's a lot of wait and see. This is all happening very, very rapidly. Um, to your point, you know, Q4 was probably the, the highest action multiples. Dan, did we lose Mike? Uh, this year, it was very quiet. Um, hey, hey, Mike. So it'd be interesting to see what, how what, that, that time. Mike, one of the things that we said is that this is live and we don't edit it, and you just cut out for the last 30 seconds. So can you repeat what you said? <laughs> <laughs> so we might have to edit a little bit here is what you're saying. Yeah, what what awesome. was the last part you, you heard me say, and I'll, I'll pick it up from there. What was that? So, sorry. So we, yeah. So you were talking about um, multiples and uh, where they're going, uh, you know, and um, what you're seeing. Uh, so what, what I was going to say is, and I was going to say, Dan, you, you've been saying this for a while, as, as I have and others, is, um, you know, ultimately interest rates were going to be rising um, and, and that's going to compress multiples. Um, this is all happening very rapidly right now. Q4, you know, as we discussed earlier, was it was probably some of the highest multiples we've seen in, in a very long time for businesses being consistently delivered. Q1 has been very quiet um, relatively, as is Q2 so far. Um, so I think a lot of people are, are in a wait and see mode in terms of where multiples go. And then we've got some other things like, you know, the rent to kill transactional Terminex that are also putting pressure on, on uh, or downward pressure right now on, on M&A. Um, that people are just kind of in, in a very much a wait and see mode right now. So, uh, if you, um, if you're an owner and you're in your fifties and you could get out right now, or you could wait five years or you could wait 10 years, what do you recommend? And obviously, you know, you as a buyer want people in the market, but but let's say you owned a company, a company that does two or three million dollars, and you have the luxury of uh, I can go now, I can wait. What, what would you be doing? I think it really depends on your personal motives, right? If you're if you're looking to to just build to maximize your value, then you're, you're really market timing, and and there's no really good answer for that, right? Obviously, you should have probably gone like. To market Q2 last year, so you close Q4, and life would have been, you know, awesome for you. Um, but really, it's like, what do you want to do with your future, right? Are you ready to retire and hang it up, and and, and then that's your reason for selling, or do you still have five or six or seven years um, that you want to stay engaged with your business and keep working? If you're ready to retire, then you're ready to retire. It's time to, to sell your business. And if you're not, you're not, and it's time to, you know, buckle down and really do that hard work to get your business where it needs to be. Um, I think what we're seeing here in terms of the economy is going to play out over years, not months. Um, so it's really getting comfortable with where we are. And, you know, do we return to where we were in 2021 in terms of multiples, or do we return to where we were in 2010 when you know people would get two times revenue and go holy smokes look at this i'm awesome um you know 
where it's going. It could go either way, right? And 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 we just don't know, and they're they're um, beyond our ability to control. Other than saying you'll always get a premium relative to market if you have a really good company, high recurring revenue, really tight routes, you know, well run. You'll always get a premium for that. So you know, if you're not ready to sell, focus on just building the best company you can. So I have a question about that, and by the way, that was uh, hopefully for our listeners. I'm going to translate a little bit what Mike just said, which I 100% agree with, which is basically he said, do what makes sense for you and don't try to time the market. Build a good business and then get out when you want to get out. Don't play the game of, well, you know, it's like playing the stock market. Um, and I think that's I think that's wise counsel. It's also funny. Challenge. It's also interesting uh, as we hear all the time, well, what can I get? What's my multiple? What's it? Well, the better question is, what do you need to retire, do the next thing, right? So right. if I got you a 10 multiple and it wasn't enough to do because your company's too small, what does it matter, right? So it's right. really, you have to look in and, and see what, what, what you need. Well, so my next question for you, Mike, and I'm just curious if, if you guys are using this, I, I will tell you at Triangle and, and I think, and, and almost all of our listeners, you know, our biggest challenge to growth now is not marketing. It's not opportunity. It's not demand. It, it is absolutely labor. And, you know, so much so that, you know, at least on our lawn side, you know, we're we're pushing people out almost four weeks to service, which is unheard of for us. I don't like doing that. Um, but it's common. I mean, I hear it. I mean, it literally, I hear it almost every day that, you know, I'm talking to, to friends or whatever. I'm just curious, as part of your valuations, do you guys look at that at all? I mean, I can think of markets like, say, the Maryland market or maybe, you know, markets in the Northwest where, you know, labor is a real issue because of cost of living. Does that does that play into, I mean, obviously, I know that you look at like the management team and, hey, there's some really good people here we can pull in. And I think that's fantastic. But does that come into valuations at all? And are you guys looking at, like, how are you going to respond to what's happening with labor? So we've been really fortunate. Um, this is almost like market timing, except we're not that smart, right? Because we had all these different different brands, um, as we brought them into PureCore, um, now we're able to, you know, when we, we had like in the Northwest, I had like 12 brands servicing Seattle and, and Tacoma and, and Portland. Which meant I literally had service vehicles in the in different driveways on the same day on the same street because you know you dealt with X Y Z he he dealt with A B C and we couldn't route. Um, now we've brought them all together in, into one brand. We've been able to really reroute um, our business, which has allowed us to be in a position now where we actually don't have a um, a labor issue um, because we're able to more efficiently use the the, the technicians that we have. Um, you know, back that up a year ago, that wasn't the case. And we did have a, you know, a labor issue. Um, but just being able to be more efficient in how we operate our business, um, that, that's not a, a problem for us right now. But I, I would say if, if it was in a market where we did have a labor issue, that would definitely factor into, you know, a company we're looking at is, you know, what, what, what is their, their labor state and will it help, you know, augment or, or, or better, drive our labor. So it, w it would factor in potentially, but uh, we're fortunate right now that that's not um, not an issue for us. So there you go. Every, all of our listeners, if you have a labor issue, just go buy more companies. 
That's what I heard. <laughs> that's like that's like when you're married, you have married problems. Let's just have kids. It's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done. All right, next. You need to bring this All back right, around. So, <laughs> so uh, last year we talked to Amy, uh, your COO, and we talked mainly what happens after the deal, like uh, talked about integration and 57 companies in three years. That is. Um, pretty aggressive in terms of how you integrate that. So how has it evolved? How has the integration of, uh, process evolved? And what is it, you know, so I, I sign an LOI and I say, okay, Mike, buy my company and you cut me a check or wire me the money day one, what happens and how does it all work? So first thing you want to do is get to know your company post-close, right? We only get to know so much of anyone's company in the due diligence phase. Um, because we don't get to know the people and what they do and how they operate and, and the value they bring to the company. Um, so first thing we do is just spend time getting to know the people and, and the strengths they bring to the table. Um, in terms of integrating, when you look at integrating a, a business, there's just a ton of moving parts. We have a, an integration checklist that I think is about 500 line items long um, of different things that we need to do from uniforms to you know payroll systems and all that fun stuff. Um, but it's it, it just a matter of moving it at the pace that the company can absorb in terms of um, change. You know, we talked earlier about change management and, and, you know, every company changes. One of the things I, I say to folks all the time is, you know, Donnie, you look at your company triangle, look at it five years ago and look at it today. It's a very different company. Um, so they're always changing. The difference with us is just the pace of change. Um, but, but, you know, again, getting people comfortable with that change and helping them through that that integration process so they understand again this comes back to communication the why we're doing what we're doing and and how we're going to do it and how that impacts them um but it's 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 a, a kind of a long process and again it depends on the on the size of the business right the smaller the business the quicker we're able to integrate it the larger it is the slower we have to integrate it um, so there's just a, a ton of variables. I know it's not the best answer for you, Dan, but it's, it's, um, it, you know, it's, uh, as you know, with M&A and integration, uh, it's kind of part art, part science and the integration, you're really moving into the kind of that art component of the, of the deal. And you have to look at each one as an individual and, 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 or each company as an individual and, and treat it, you know, how, and in the best way possible to bring forward its best attributes as part of the integration. It's interesting. The sellers usually don't focus on it because they're focused on getting a deal done, getting their money and everything. But remember, these are people who work for you and um, you want to take care of them. And, you know, sometimes the deal has contingencies that you have to jump through certain hoops to get all your payout. And so it's extremely important as the seller to make sure that the integration goes smoothly. And uh, so... I think it's important on both sides, but uh, let's say you're a smaller company, but you want to grow through acquisitions. What advice do you have when it comes to buying other pest control companies, either grow in your current market or expand into a new market? I think you need to think about why you want to acquire, right? Like what's the purpose of the growth? Um, are you trying to drive top line? Are you trying to drive bottom line? Um, to your point, expanding into a new market or expanding into an existing market, increasing your, your density. I think if you're a company new to acquisition, um, the, the, the best path would be to focus on increasing the density inside your own market. 
right? And most companies, the further you get away from kind of that, that central hub that you have, the harder it gets to manage. Um, so if you're cutting your teeth on integration, it's something that's a new market that you don't have a footprint in, that you don't know, um, your chances of failure are quite a bit higher than if you're focusing on an acquisition inside your existing market that you know really well. And ultimately, when you do acquisitions, the goal is to improve your EBITDA, regardless of which, you know, if it's out of market or in market. And the lift you get by making an acquisition inside your existing market is a lot more than entering a new market. So if you're going to go to a new market, you really need to understand why do you want to go to that new market and what's an acquisition going to do to get you there. And in most cases, if you're moving to a new market, especially for a smaller company, one acquisition does not get you into the market in, in a profitable way. It just gets you there. So what's your pathway to profitability when you're moving into a new market? So long way of saying, if you're a smaller company looking at acquisitions, I would focus on densifying your business and get comfortable with the whole acquisition process and integration process. Um, Cause there's a, just a, even there's just a ton of moving parts that you really need to, to master. And it's easier to do when it's closer to home than when it's further afield. Sir. Donnie. Well, you know, I just think, um, you know, thinking through um, thinking through the acquisition process. I, by the way, I have done a few acquisitions, nothing of major size. I have failed at two, and I've done. I probably shouldn't get my box score here because people are gonna be like, "This guy's an idiot." Like they're gonna totally. They're gonna. I'm gonna get found out. But but one, um, I guess the thing that I have learned is that small ones are just as hard as big ones. <laughs> don't, it's not like it's like, you know, and sometimes the small ones are not worth it. I, I had one small one that, and I'm not gonna sit here and tell war stories, but uh, one, I ended up just giving it back to the owner. I'm like, this is wasting too much of our time. These customers do not align. We did not see this. This is not, you know, and that literally just said, you know what, why don't we just all just walk away? <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> The second one is I broke the rule that you just talked about, which was I went way out of market. And, uh, and you know, we we ended up making money on the deal. But when I look back at it, I view it as a failure because it didn't ultimately turn into what we wanted it to. Financially speaking, it was fine. Um, you know, we, we made money on the deal. It, it helped out overall. Um, but it just did not. It didn't come out to to what I wanted it to be. So I think all good counsel that, that you gave there. Um you know, I guess the other, you know, the other question here is, and we asked, we've asked this question a lot, but can you just in a brief, like maybe just two minutes, if you are interested in exiting, say in the next five years, what are some really quick hit items? And maybe not even quick hit, but what are some things that you can do to make your company shine as best as it possibly can? Um, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I'm not talking about cotton candy stuff here. I'm talking about the fundamentals, like what can owners do? What can operators do if they're really interested in exiting? How do they maximize the value of what they built? Does that make sense? Like that question? Yeah, t totally. And, it, and it's a, it comes back to like the fundamentals and just doing them really, really well. Right. So, um, you know, you want to. I put it. Um, 
you wanna make sure you're growing organically at kind of above market rates. That's gonna be really attractive um, to a buyer that you're able to really grow your, 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 your business faster than what they are organically. Um, you wanna focus on reoccurring revenue, right? Like one-time jobs are great and they drop revenue in right away and, and they're profitable, but you know, you have to start from zero every year. So as a, you know, every acquirer really wants to see kind of 80, 90 plus percent recurring revenue. If you want to maximize your, your, your value, like focus on that, that recurring revenue, um, obviously the organic growth. Um, and, and then density is another big one that, that every acquirer is going to look for, you know, look at your revenue per technician and are you, you know, north or south of 200,000. If you're south of 200,000, work on bringing it up. And then if you're, you know, north of 200, how far can you get? Can you get to 210, 220, 230, 240? What's that number? Again, that that's gonna drive your profitability and it's gonna make you more attractive for uh, an acquirer. Um, and then retaining your staff. I mean, that's, that's to, especially your, your, your front frontline service specialists or technicians. Um, one of the things that all of us look at is, you know, are you churning people constantly or are you a nice stable business? And having a, a stable business with high recurring revenue, great profitability and organic and you know, above average organic growth, you're gonna be a very attractive target, not just to, to myself, but any of the acquirers in the market. Those are those like basic fundamental things that if you can do those well, you'll you'll build a business that people wanna buy. So just recap there, growing above market, making sure you're mostly recurring revenue, getting your density above the 200K line as far as revenue per tech, and then making sure that you stabilize in terms of your people. So I'm just recapping. I know that's exactly what you said, but just for our listeners, I want to make sure that everyone hears that because I agree with you 100%. I think those are all, those are the fundamentals and, you know. So you're selling your well. Those are the things yeah. you want to do. Absolutely. Hey, it's Mike, not very so, sexy, uh, but that's what drives our business, right? Like, no, no, I agree. 100%. Dan, you want to, uh, Dan's biting at the bit to ask his magic question. Yeah. He asked it on well, every. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's a couple here. So on the website, you want to be a PCT top 10, you're number 18. When do you anticipate being 10 or above or below or however you want to? That's a tough question. It gets harder to move the needle the closer we get to where we want to be. <laughs> um, and, and the nature of growing like we do, I, I, um, I was just talking to a group of people and uh, the best analogy I can give you, it's it's like climbing a long flight of stairs, right? You go up and then you hit a landing, then you go up and you hit a landing. And, and that's just you, just like any other business, right? You hit certain thresholds and you have to look at your your business and say, okay, what are we doing well? What do we need to, what are we doing well that we need to change to allow us to continue to grow? Because what got me to 50 million won't get me to 100. What got me to 100 won't get me to 200, if that, that makes sense. You have to look at all your systems and processes. So, you know, right now we're on like one of those landings where we're approaching the 100 million mark and we're having that discussion about, okay, to go from one to two, what do we need to change in our business to, to let that happen? Um, and where do we need to invest to make that happen? Um, so we have this weird kind of growth curve. Um, you know, I'd hope in the next five years we can crack the top 10. Um, but it's it's again as as we get bigger, um, the needle gets harder to move, and uh, our competition also grows at a pretty good good clip. So you know closing in on them will be tough. 
Um, uh, on the upside, you know, if everything goes well, Terminex will fall off the list, so we'll all move up one spot next year. That'll that'll so help a little replace, bit. Replace them, right? So, <laughs> so, so th this this is probably uh, and not to put you on the spot, but um, you just spoke about five years from now, right? You've been doing this for what? Uh, uh, so four years, right? Or uh, so we just had a three-year anniversary in April. Okay, yeah. so. So three years, so that'd be eight years. But uh, you know, PE firms look for their investments for a fixed period before exiting, and yeah. so Imperial is at some point going to look to exit. What is that plan? What is the plan for you? Is it to move it to the next PE firm? Is it to you know uh, sell it to a, a strategic? What, what 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 what's what's in the plan and what's in the plan for you? So I've been very upfront since day one with Imperial. Um, with the strategic folks I meet as a regular basis and, um, and anyone who, who asks and, and our employees. Um, myself and my management team's goal is to move to that next tier of PE firms, right? As you know from your, your job, Dan, there's a, a bunch of large PE firms that uh, want to get into this market or having trouble finding a, a solid entry point for a whole host of reasons. CERTIS provides that entry point for them. Um, so, you know, I think it's a realistic goal of all of ours to say that that's where we want to go. You look at Imperial Capital's history of where they sell to and, uh, you know, they, they tend to overwhelmingly sell to that next tier of PE. Um, but that's that's where we want to go is just keep growing this out. Um, you know, one of my goals when I founded Certus was we weren't rolling up to sell. We were rolling up to build a world class pest control company that gets into the top 10 and not just in terms of revenue, but in, in terms of how we operate overall, we wanna be a best in class company. Um, that focus hasn't changed. Um, and that's the goal where we're driving to and uh, you know, knock on wood, that that is the goal we'll hit in the next you know five years. And so, so finally, um, we need to talk about the, uh, the, 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 the big elephant, the Terminex Renekill deal, which is, Kind of interesting. I think it was uh, December fifteenth that was announced, and uh, the you got a certain amount of Renekill shares, and I think eleven bucks cash uh, if you were a Terminex holder, and that valued the uh, the deal at about a three point six times uh, revenue. Now uh, Renekill stock has fallen from I think it was like forty bucks to like twenty seven and a half or so. Now the deal's worth about a two point six. Where does that what what's you know, what's your opinion of this deal? What's your opinion of the valuation? Is it good for the industry? You know, what are the challenges? Yeah, I'm not sure where the, the EBITDA multiple sits on the valuation. I remember when it came out, it was what, about, about a 19 times, I believe was the the implied. Um, overall, I think it's really good for the industry. I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, all of us in, in the industry, rather we're, we're know it or not, we need strong public comps. We need um, public companies that are performing well, because ultimately that that drives the value of our own companies, um, regardless of your size. It, it, it impacts that. Um, they also, in a lot of ways, drive the industry. You know, you, you look at um, small companies that are very nimble and entrepreneurial and adaptive, and all those those great things that they do. Those big guys are very public and present, and really. Um, you know, the face of the industry that a lot of the public knows and having a, a, a strong brand and a strong management team is just, it's good for all of us. 
I, I think one of the areas where Terminex has suffered um, since the last PE round of ownership has been um, stability, right? And in terms of that top leadership, and and that negatively impacts valuations among other things. When you look at like a Rent-a-Kill or a, a Rollins, they're just rocks in terms of their leadership, and that really helps the company perform really well. Um, where Terminex, there's so many great people and they do so many great things, um, but they're missing that one key component of having that really stable, solid leadership. And hopefully, you know, this merger is going to bring that to them when you look at kind of rent to kill, not just, you know, the North American business, but you look at their global business. It's a very stable, well-respected business. Um, and, and hopefully they can bring that to Terminex. And then Terminex has a fantastic brand um, overall across North America, which rent to kill doesn't have a really, really solid residential brand. So I, I think it's a, just a great merger of, of two, two companies that can really bring out the best in each other, hopefully. Well, the last part of that is what are the challenges? What do you see as the challenges? And then we'll, we'll finish out and we'll make that kind of a last closing question. Where do you see the challenges of this deal and for the industry? Um, I think back where we started on integration, right? I mean, you, you, you look at the size of those businesses, um, both have well entrenched cultures, um, but bringing together all those systems and processes, right? I mean, just basic things like, you know, Rent-A-Kill has been moving into Petspack as their ERP of choice and Terminex has been moving into Salesforce as their ERP of choice. Like, that's a fundamental decision that's going to anger half of your folks and, you know, the other half are going to love. How do you how do you navigate those sorts of things? And you've got branches that stack on top of each other. And how do you how do you maximize the the efficiency there? I think there's a lot of heavy lifting over the next 24 months for them once the deal closes to to, to integrate these these two businesses. But um, they've got great teams. I know they're, they've, they've started planning on that a long time ago, and uh, I, I think they're capable of doing it. It's just it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a big lift and, and, you know, keep them distracted from, from other things potentially over the next two years. We work quite a bit with Renekill, and if anybody can do it, they can do it for sure. I mean, they're, yeah. they're outstanding. Mike, this has been nothing short of fantastic. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, I think this is going to be very valuable for our listeners. Dan, any parting questions, thoughts before we close out here? Well, I think that that's it. And we wish you every bit of luck. And, and um, we've enjoyed working with you guys. Uh, you've got a tremendous team that you've built. And uh, we continue to um, want to work with you and do great things with you as you do them. And uh, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to see you guys in person again at probably Pest World in Boston, I guess, will be the next time we see each other. So uh, have a great summer. Yeah. Sounds good. No doubt. Appreciate it. Thanks, and guys. one last thing before we go. Um, I still remember Amy talking about going around and pumping toilets. So I'm just telling her, you know, <laughs> I don't know why that stuck out to me. <laughs> but just tell her that, you know, I'm sure she's like loving her job now. But anyway, tell her we said hi here from the podcast for our listeners. And just a reminder for all of our listeners, all the resources, all the topics, everything that we talked about today, and also a summary of this podcast will be available on pmpindustryinsider.com. Just go to the website, look on the link called Show Notes, and you'll find this episode there. 
Also, Dan and I always appreciate uh, those who are willing to take a little bit of a moment out of their time to just rate and review our podcast and share it with other folks. We don't do this for money, obviously. And if we did, I think we would, we would, well, I don't know how good we'd be doing great, but we also want to help folks in the industry and that's what we were here to do. And so we hope that, you know, with reviews and ratings, you can share it with others and they can get some value with that. And with that, we're going to sign off. Mike, thanks again. Very much enjoyed having you. We'll see you all next time. All right.